if you want to know what happened to the Apostle Peter after Jesus rose from the dead, you should read the book of Acts. It's all in there. A disciple and a weak one and a dramatic one becomes an apostle after Jesus rose from the dead. Something remarkably changed that man. You can read all about it in the book of Acts. I encourage you to do that. 30 years or so later after Jesus rose from the dead and went back uh, to be with God the Father, sending his spirit. 30 years after that or so, when Peter was a much older man near the end of his life, uh, living, scholars think, in Rome, under probably an intense time of persecution for Christians living in Rome, Peter wrote a letter to Christians living back in the east in, in what's now Turkey, a bunch of churches in Asia Minor. He wrote a letter to them. And basically the first point that Peter makes in this letter is, Christians, you don't belong here. You don't belong here, and that's okay. Because although you don't belong in this world, you can thrive here. Not only can you survive, but you can thrive. Now, here's how. Here's how you, as a Christian, can thrive in a world that the Bible says is not your home. You can survive and even thrive by understanding the reality of your circumstances. You have to understand the reality of your situation. You also can survive and thrive by understanding the benefit of your situation. And then Christians can take comfort in knowing that Jesus understands your situation. So to survive here and to thrive in this life, given all that Jesus Christ accomplished as we looked in the Gospel of Mark, which was a gospel inspired by, influenced by the Apostle Peter. We need to know the reality of our situation. We need to know the benefit of our situation. And then for the Christian, we can have comfort and hope in knowing that Jesus understands our situation. So let's begin. Here's the reality of the situation in this world, in this life for a Christian. Peter says, you are an exile You're an exile on the map. The word exile means a stranger, a pilgrim. One Greek dictionary actually says the word means a refugee. An alien living among natives, a foreigner. There's a lot of talk in our world today about refugees, political refugees all over the world, in Europe, even here to some extent. A couple of years ago, the president wanted to send a bunch of refugees up to Westminster, of all places. And the governor of Maryland told him that was probably not a good idea. So the administration didn't send them here. Refugees of war. The concept of being a political refugee, a refugee of war, a refugee of famine, a refugee of persecution is a very real concept to us, isn't it? Well, for the Christian... Peter says, God sees you, even even if you live in a free society, God sees you as a refugee. As my friend Julie Soltis likes to say, uh, in her animated way, Julie has 
worked uh, with refugees in Europe. She just retired from that post. Over 20 years working with refugees in Europe uh, for a long time. And Julie likes to say that Christians are displaced refugees. And according to Peter, that seems to be true. And people know it, don't they? If, you, if you're serious about following Jesus Christ, people know you're different, right? You've started to notice that people notice that you're different. Eventually, people realize that you don't quite fit in. Isn't that true? So for the Christian, the first two verses of Peter's first epistle are a reality check, aren't they? You live and you work and you walk around and you drive and you worship and you play in a world that doesn't belong to you. A world in which you don't belong. Now, this doesn't mean that you lack anything that you need. You may be in exile. But you don't lack anything, anything you need to survive, anything you need to have a wonderful life. You have it all. Peter says at the end of his greeting in verse two, grace and peace be multiplied to you. Now, how could he say that? How could he say to a bunch of exiles, to a bunch of strangers and foreigners, as far as the world is concerned, that you can have grace and peace? Well, we have to talk about the benefit of our situation as Christians. The reality is, Peter says, we're strangers here. But the reality also is that we're chosen strangers. He refers to us as elect exiles. Now, the word elected, what do you think? It's a political year, isn't it? It's an election year. So when someone is elected, it means that we choose them based on their reputation, their record, their words. And so you elect somebody, right? That's not the sense in which Peter is saying that you, as a Christian, are elected. The sense of election here is the idea of being taken out, of being selected out from the rest, not by your record, not by your behavior, not by your words, not by your reputation, but by God's mysterious design. Two words that begin verse two are critical if we're going to understand what this actually means to be chosen strangers, to be elect exiles. The words are according to. Verse 2, those words are really important. Peter says the Christian is an elect exile according to, which means based on what he's about to say. If you are a chosen stranger, chosen by God, a stranger in this world, you are such according to, based upon three facts that Peter lays out. The first fact is that you are known. The second fact is you are equipped. And the third fact is you're protected. Chosen exiles, based on the fact that you are known, you are equipped, and you're protected. Let's begin with the first. 
Elect exiles, Peter says in verse 2, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. The word foreknowledge there, it's the Greek word prognosis. Right? We use the word prognosis in our society, don't we? Right? Doc, what's my prognosis? What do you know is about to happen to me? The word, prog- the word prognosis, the word foreknowledge here, it just means to know beforehand. It doesn't mean to simply know the facts as if God can look into the future and know so-and-so is going to be born in such-and-such a year and live in such-and-such a place and do this and do that and read my word and say, yes, I believe that's true or read my word and say, no, that stuff's a bunch of hooey. It's not just that God knows the facts beforehand, but God knows the person. This concept is all over the New Testament, but this word only comes twice. And the only other place it's used is also by Peter in Acts chapter 2 when he's preaching in Jerusalem. And the word is used there by Peter to talk about the death of Jesus Christ. Peter says in Acts chapter 2 that it was by the foreknowledge of God that Jesus was tried and imprisoned and crucified. And that's how Peter is using the word here. You are who you are, and you are what you are by God's design, by God's plan. That's what the word means. He know, if you're a Christian, if you follow Jesus, it means that God knows you. Old Testament believers like David, the king, and Jeremiah, the prophet, they knew this. They, they pointed out in their writings that, that God knew them before they were born, that he formed them. The Apostle Paul in Ephesians chapter 1 says that God knew us before creation itself. So the Christian is strange to the world precisely because she is familiar to God. That is the, that's the substance of the strangeness. You're a stranger here in Christ because you're familiar to God. Now, we are known by God on purpose, but we're more than known, we're we're equipped. Peter goes on to say, we are elect exiles in the sanctification of the Spirit. Now, sanctification is a big fancy word that simply means holiness. There's a concept in the New Testament called sanctification. It's the process by which God gradually makes you the person That he created you to be. Ephesians chapter 2. The apostle Paul tells us that God actually prepared us for doing good works. So when Paul said. I'm sorry. This is Peter. When Peter says that we are elect exiles in the sanctification of the spirit. What he is saying is that we have been commissioned by God. Being holy is, is really being set apart. It's, it's, it's not that you behave better than everybody else. But the idea of holiness in the Bible is that God takes you out from the rest. And he says, you're mine. And you're, you're, I'm going to use you for a special purpose. Now, what happens when someone commissions you? When you're commissioned, you are given what you need to accomplish your task, aren't you? If you're commissioned well... 
You are given the authority, the tools, the skills, the knowledge that you need to do what you've been commissioned to do. A good commissioning agency will equip you well to go out with the skill, the knowledge, the authority by which you've been commissioned. Okay, so to be sanctified by the spirit of God is to be not only commissioned for his special purpose in this life, but to be equipped, to be given the knowledge and the tools and the wherewithal to be the person that God's created you to be. We're not wandering aimlessly in this life. Doing whatever we feel like doing. But the Holy Spirit of God has commissioned us and equipped us to live as Peter calls us to live in the rest of this letter. And we'll get to that in the next two months. But for now, understand that you are elect exiles according to the knowledge of God, the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. And you are also protected. You are known, you are equipped, and you're protected. Elect exiles for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Now, I want to just focus on the word sprinkling there. In Exodus chapter 24, when, when Israel entered the wilderness, when the Israelites entered the wilderness, there's a moment, a very important moment, when Moses takes the blood of an animal and he throws it on the altar and then he throws it on the people. It was a special covenant. The significance there is that in order to be in the presence of God, the blood of another had to be spilled so that their sins would be forgiven. They understood when that blood was sprinkled on them that someone else had to pay the punishment for their own sin. And so the blood of the animal covered them. It atoned for their sin. It allowed them to be one with God. And so Peter now says that we are elect exiles because of the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. So that the blood of Jesus covers you or protects you in this life and forever from God's wrath. From any type of harm you can experience in this world by society, by institutions, by other people. The blood of Christ covers, your, covers you from identity theft. So that nobody in this world, no idea, can rob you of who you truly are. The blood of Christ protects you. So, the Christian, Peter says, is a stranger, a refugee in this world, but one who is chosen by God. Meaning, one who is known on purpose by God. One who is equipped by God. And one who is protected. Father, Son, Spirit. You see the whole Trinity here involved in you being who you truly are. And this is your survival kit. This is it. When you go out into a difficult world, this is your survival kit. It's, it's not a first aid box with gauze and scissors and, and neosporin. It's not a utility knife. It's not rope. It's not a pack of granola bars. The utility kit for the Christian is knowledge. This is important. The survival kit for the Christian in a strange world is knowledge. 
Not aimless knowledge, not bad knowledge, and not only knowledge, but that's where it begins. The survival kit is knowing that you've been adopted by God as his son or as his daughter. That you are being sanctified by God, set apart to become the person he's made you to be, useful in this world. And finally, knowing that you are justified by the blood of Jesus Christ, that you're seen as righteous because of the blood of Jesus spilled for you, making you righteous in God's eyes. So your adoption, your sanctification, and your justification, three big theological terms, those, knowing those, that's your survival kit. That's where you have to begin, okay? Martin Luther said, The one who understands this letter has without a doubt enough so as to not need more. Because the apostle did not forget anything in this letter that is necessary for a Christian to know. Nothing can go right for you out there until you comprehend the benefit of your survival kit. You are known by God. You are equipped by God for a purpose. And you are protected by the blood of Jesus. That's your survival kit. You know that you have everything you need to go forward in a dangerous world, in a dangerous life. You'll discover more, but you need that. That's what's going to protect you. That's what's going to encourage you. That's what's going to move you forward and nothing else. We begin there as we go out. Now, let me ask you a question. Why do things go wrong for us out there? If we've been adopted by God the Father, are being set apart and made holy by God the Spirit, and are protected by God the Son in this world where we are strangers, why do things go wrong for the Christian out there? What do you think? Things go wrong so that God can be glorified. God is glorified even when things go wrong. And quite often in our weakness, his strength is made perfect. Okay, good. So God is even in the going wrongness. Okay, what else? Yeah. We live in a fallen world. So things are not as they were originally planned to be. So things go wrong because life happens. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so as we experience things going wrong, uh, we learn to trust him. We, we learn to live by faith. Okay, if we don't belong here, there's a high probability that uh, things will break and things will be out of place um, because it's obvious that we don't fit very good. Yeah. Interesting. You said that sometimes you feel like you don't need your survival kit anymore. I know the terrain so well on this trail. I I think I've traveled this trail 20 times now. I got bumper stickers all over my my uh, backpack or my bumper, you know, my bumper. And uh, I've been on this trail so much. I'm going to leave the survival kit at home. Interesting. I know these people so well. I know those people. I, I, I work there. I, I, I was born there. I know that culture. I don't need my survival kit. 
I know what that person's like. I know what, I know what he's going to say. Yeah. The reality of evil, and, and the reality of evil in that there is a spiritual, there's a spiritual counterpart, there's a spiritual enemy. The Bible calls him Satan, and he's just as real as we are. It's just that um, we, we can't really see what he's doing, but his influence is everywhere, um, and it affects everything. So we go out with our, uh, without our survival kit, and now we're like, uh, we're like the, the antelope that falls behind the herd, and now the predator can go after the one. Good point. Very good. Yeah, spiritual warfare is a reality. Maybe one or two more. Why do things go wrong out there? Yeah. So we're sinners, right? You're, you're saying everybody, not just the, you, everybody around you. Sinners, we're sinners. We're, we are at heart rebellious by nature. Good. Yeah, one more, Mike. Hmm. Being born from above by the truth of the good news, the gospel, uh, we are made perfect, the Bible says, through suffering. This is so interesting. I'm so glad you're all talking because there's a tension here. There's the sense that because of our rebellious nature, we cause some of the trouble, and some of the trouble must take place to make us more like Jesus, which is sanctification. And so we live in this tension where we're part of the problem. And even when we're not part of the problem, being, being affected by the problem helps make us more like Jesus. Good. Great. Great. You guys are doing wonderful. Thanks for opening up and, and talking. I know you're not always used to doing that on a Sunday morning. I think there is a real danger in getting too comfortable. The danger is getting too comfortable in your situation. We tend to believe that this world is our home, that, that this world is our property, that, that this is our inheritance, whatever we're working for or working at or what we buy or what we own or what we've worked for or those letters after your name that signify some degree you've earned. That these things are ours and this is our place. That this nation is ours, is our home. This is our country. This is where we begin to trip up. This is where we begin to say we don't need the survival kit. We'll leave it at home. Because I'm home anyway. These are my people. This is my place. This is my job. This is what I've worked for. This is what I have. This is what I own. This is who I am, and I am comfortable here, and I'm telling you, that will trip us up every time. As long as we believe that, friends, we will take comfort in the wrong things. We will take comfort in the wrong people. John Calvin said about this letter, 
The design of Peter in this epistle is to exhort the faithful to a denial of the world and a contempt of it so that they might with their whole soul aspire after the celestial kingdom of Christ. That being elevated by hope, supported by patience, fortified by courage and perseverance, they might overcome all kinds of temptations and pursue this course and practice throughout life. Peter doesn't want us to check out. That's what so many Christians do. They check out. And they act like they don't need to be here. They don't need that, that the people of this world and the institutions of this world are not worth their time. And that gives the name of Christ a bad stench. Peter's not telling us to check out. And you'll, you'll see him prove that as you continue to work your way through his letter. But what he is saying right from the get-go is do not put your hope in this world. You don't belong here. Put your hope in in what is ahead. Put your hope where Jesus is, what he's preparing for you. Now, if you're skeptical of Christianity, if, if, if you're not there yet, if you're not a follower of Jesus, if you have some concerns, I, I would imagine that in some sense you feel very comfortable in this world, or at least there's some aspect of life. There's something in your life you feel at home there or with that person, or in that relationship, or with that type of work, or that type of study, or when you do a certain thing uh, by habit, or you think a certain way, you feel at home. I want to warn you, friend, that if you feel at home in this world, you may be a stranger to God. To not be a stranger to this world, according to Peter, means you are a stranger to your creator, which means you don't have his love on purpose. You don't have his loving knowledge of you. You don't have his equipping power. You don't have his protection. And so out in the real world, you're on your own. And that may feel good right now, but you'll always be on your own. Without him, if you're strange to God, you'll be on your own forever. When this life ends and you enter a new reality, the true reality, you will still be on your own. It will not feel good then. Maybe that's not your problem. Maybe you are quite comfortable being a religious person. You've always been religious. You've always been pious. You've always been devout. I want to caution you to not get too comfortable In your religious observance. You'll notice the word obedience in verse 2. But notice that it is obedience that's initiated by God's work and not your own. Elect exiles for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. Do you see here that true obedience is not the cause of holiness? It's the result of it. Obedience doesn't, just read it right there in Peter's words. Obedience doesn't make you holy. Holiness makes you obedient. And so don't get too comfortable in your religion because not even that will keep you safe out there. The secular mindset, it takes comfort in the things of this world. 
the, re, uh, the moral mindset takes comfort in religion. But the Christian takes comfort in knowing that Jesus Christ identifies with your situation. Jesus isn't asking us to embark upon a journey that he hasn't taken. Jesus is not a guide who is leading us into a place that he is unfamiliar with. Jesus knows the terrain. He knows the people. He knows the cultures. He knows the feeling of being alone. He knows the feeling of knowing that you're different, of knowing that you're an outcast, of knowing that you don't fit in. This is our guide. When you go into an unfamiliar place, maybe it's New York City and you're just trying to get Chinese food. Maybe it's the Appalachian Trail or the wilderness of Colorado. Wherever you're going into an unfamiliar place, you want a guide, don't you? You don't want to go eat pizza at Sabaro's in New York City. So you ask someone who lives there to take you to a real pizza place. You don't want me guiding you through the wilderness of Montana. Because let me tell you, I have never been there. You're going to die if you follow me into those mountains. Okay. We want someone to guide us who knows the people, who knows the culture. Who knows the terrain. And that's who Jesus is. Do you realize this is the gospel of Christianity? Jesus became a refugee. Jesus was the, the first Christian refugee. Jesus was out of place among his own nation, amongst his own people. Jesus was out of place in his own town. Jesus was out of place in his own family. The Bible tells us that even his brothers and his sisters didn't believe in him. Jesus became a refugee so that you wouldn't have to remain one. Jesus became an outlaw and a stranger to bring you near so that you are no longer strange to God because of your sin. The Apostle John said he was in the world and the world was made through him. Can you imagine making the world and then showing up and nobody knows you? The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. So for the Christian, you can take comfort and find meaning and identity and purpose in this difficult life, in this difficult world, by the fact that you belong to Jesus. You don't belong to the world. You're here, but you don't belong to the world. You belong to him. The world didn't know him. The world rejected him. Don't go looking for favors if you belong to him. That's where we start. Before we talk about conflict, and Peter's going to talk about conflict. Before we talk about politics, he'll talk about government, right? Before we talk about injustice, before we talk about suffering, before we talk about marriage, before we talk about leadership in the church, we're going to talk about all these things as Peter brings them up in this letter. But before all of it, we have to start here. Our adoption by God the Father, our sanctification by God the Spirit, our protection by the blood of God the Son, that's where we start. 
If that's all you know, good. Start there, the apostle Peter tells us. And so it should look like this for you. If you want to follow Jesus, then these words by Peter 2,000 years ago are for you. And I want you to put your name into the blank space. When you see the words, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ to you. An elect exile of the dispersion in Maryland, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, in the sanctification of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood, may grace and peace be multiplied to you. There's this old story. I don't even know if it's a true story. It's just a story I heard a long time ago. It's probably like a fable. A man gets lost in the countryside on some country road and finally he runs out of gas. And so he leaves his car and he goes walking. What else is he going to do? This is before cell phones. This is before GPS. Just forget about it. It's, he's lost. He stumbles upon a country house and he walks up to the house and there's a little boy sitting on the porch. And he asks the little boy, do you know where I am? What town is this? And the little boy doesn't know. And he says, well, do you know where the nearest highway is? And the little boy says, well, I don't know. And he says, well, do you know where the nearest gas, do you know where a gas station is? And the little boy just says, I don't know. So in frustration, the man goes, you really don't know much at all, do you? And the little boy just shrugs and says, I know I'm not lost. <laughs> this world is not your home follower of Jesus, but you are not lost. Take comfort in that, that although you don't belong here, you can survive here and you can thrive here. In Christ, you're, you're a stranger to this world, but you're no stranger to God. He knows you on purpose and he always has. And that knowledge is a love. It's not a bad knowledge. It's a good knowledge. He loves you and he always has. And he's commissioned you. So you're equipped with everything that you need. To live the life he's called you to live. You're equipped. You can leave the survival kit at home. But you're equipped. And finally you're protected. By the blood and the name. Of your savior Jesus. He knows you. He's equipped you. And he's protecting you. So let's get going. Pray with me. Father, thank you that you know us and you love us. Despite our sin, you know us and you love us. And we thank you for your indwelling spirit that has set us apart for good works, for positive impact here. And we thank you for your son, our savior, our friend, our redeemer, who shed his blood, the blood that covers over our sins, that covers us in your righteousness so that we do not have to be afraid. We are not without knowledge. 
and hope and freedom. Help us now to hear the words of Peter over the next several weeks to understand who we are in this world and what you've called us to do in this world until you come again. For Christ's sake, amen.